Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and the ushers will grab one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. We've been kind of working our way through 1 Corinthians and last week we, we talked about kind of three questions that we felt like the text kind of answered for us. The first one was, what posture is expected for those that are part of the church? And we said that the, the Apostle Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, laid out this, this idea that we are to be servants or under rowers, someone that, that is, is below the ship, not getting the accolades, but, but laboring for the Lord. Or we're to steward the things that are His. And so, and the second thing is we saw that what the Lord is going to ultimately ex- ex- hold us accountable for isn't our, how we perform or what we do, it's, it's faithfulness. And that's ultimately what the Lord wants of us, is faithfulness. And then we realize that there will be people that will judge us. And again, we talked about this last week, how there will be others that will judge you. You'll judge yourself, and even God will judge you. These three individuals, these three different groups of people will judge us, that the only one that really matters is what God has his thoughts, what he views of us. That's all that really matters. The, the rest of it is just a judgment before time. And that's where we are into Corinthians uh, verses 6 through 13. I want to just kind of give you a little bit of a preface in, in terms of of tone, kind of how this, this text goes. This is kind of a, the, the crux in the book of 1 Corinthians where he begins the beginning kind of encouraging them, look, you're one church, not to divide, and, and reminding them that it's, it's Christ crucified and, and all these things. He, he, he establishes kind of his pastoral ministry. It's like he's, he's, he's concerned about the Corinthians and what they're boasting, but he first never ever wants just issues a command without giving them the mind of Christ, like he was talking about in, in chapter 2. He pushes on them, but before doing so, he wants to remind them, like, this is what the mind of Christ looks like. That being said, the tone shifts dramatically in the text right here. In fact, the Apostle Paul kind of switches to a, a sarcastic gear, which again, I, I mentioned this in first service. Sarcasm, many of you are here like, oh yes, freedom to be sarcastic, it's here. No, I think sarcasm um, plays a good role when dealing with a fool. And then that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Is when, you're, when, you're, when you're communicating to a fool, sometimes like, oh, this is really what you believe. It's kind of what he's doing here. Sarcasm, this isn't a free bent for like, hey, let's be as sarcastic as we want. That's not, that's not what I'm saying here. But he, he changes his tone and comes in a little bit harder. And, and I want to say this. This is the reason why this is such a good identifier for us to, to recognize. I think that, that starting today and the rest of the book of Corinthians, if you can stay, stay in this and, with us and go through it, there's going to be a lot of push on you. It's not, and I don't want you to see it as me pushing on you. I'm hoping it, that I can get out of the way and that the Spirit of God can just convict where he needs to convict, encourage where he needs to encourage. But this is, this is where, this is the, the, the main point of what is causing the factions and the divisions and the wrestling inside this church before the Apostle Paul even gets to answering the questions that they brought to him while he was in the church in Ephesus. This is 18 months after he planted this church. They brought some questions to him from, from like what is going on and how do we identify those things. He hasn't even really gotten into those other than he just keeps acknowledging about this idea of factions or divisions in the church. And if you remember, the divisions were based on I follow Paul or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Apollos. And they were basing that not on their, their faithfulness or their, 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 their stewardship of the word, but specifically on their stylistic preaching or how they spoke. And they were aligning themselves to these things. And the Apostle Paul's already said, look, you're aligning yourself to us, but we belong to you. He turned everything upside down again. And so 
this text now is where we're going to go into what I think is kind of the overarching issue that, that comes across the church in Corinth. And, and honestly, as I looked at it, I think this is the overarching issue in the church today. And, and please hear me on this. This, all of this wrestling, all this, this difficult conversation that he's going to go to, remember, he spent the first three chapters establishing them as brothers and sisters. So he's not speaking to them as if they don't know the Lord. He's not speaking to them as if they're not children of God. He's speaking to them saying, look, you are children of God, but here is where you've missed up. Here's where things are gone awry. And I think today is the, the pivot point, the point in which it shifts and shows kind of why there's so much issues throughout the rest of the church in Corinth and even today. So if you read with me, first... Uh, verses 6 through 13 out of chapter 4. I've applied all these things to myself and Paulus for your benefit, brothers. Again, brothers. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. Okay, we're going to pause right here. So he, he's saying, I've applied all these things. What are the things he's talking about? These analogies he's used. I planted Apollos water. We're both builders on the, the, the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're both under, we're under rowers. He said, I've applied all these things saying, this is who we are. This is who we are. We are these individuals. This is, this is us. And this is what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. I've done all of these things so that you may not go beyond this. Now, Scholars tend to wrestle with what the beyond here means. Is it beyond the apostles' teaching or beyond Scripture? I think what makes the most sense, since the Apostle Paul has already quoted a number of Old Testament Scriptures, is that he's basically saying here he's not to go beyond what is written in the text, in the Scripture. What, what, what is it that you're going to do that's going to go beyond? And apply that to today. I think that's our biggest problem. It's our biggest problem is that most of us, we want to go beyond what Scripture says. And some of us mask it, and I want to just really dig into the scripture, but I don't like it. We say things like, I just can't imagine a God that does this. And so we start trying to pick and poke and move scripture around to fit within our imagination as if we created our own imagination. And the issue that really runs rampant within the church of Corinth, and I would say the church today, is this idea of puffed up. So you puff up, this is, it's, it's arrogance, it's, it's, it's overconfidence, it's conceitedness. He uses this term about three or four times in the book of Corinthians alone. And, and in, even to think about it, just so you know, the, the love is chapter is all based on the fact that they lost sight of what love is. And it's not, I mean, it's a great wedding one. Don't get me wrong there. But like the context was not for weddings. It was the fact that the church wasn't loving each other because they were too puffed up. They were too arrogant. They were too prideful. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you guys have gone beyond the scripture. You think you've been enlightened beyond the scripture, and therefore you don't need the scripture. And this is where all of our issues come, is that we wrestle, we point fingers at the church and what they're doing wrong because we don't like something, or we run into a relationship that is definitely not something that God would, would want for us because we try and find these, these avenues that we can just, I can just kind of work my way around this scripture. It doesn't really matter, and, and God will fix it on the end. He's saying, look, that's pride. You're arrogant. We're puffed up have gone beyond. And he, he goes one step further. And he says, who really notices anything in you? And what did you really have that wasn't given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you boast? It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boast that I'm six foot one. I'd, like I had anything to do with that. And that's what he's saying. Is it makes no sense. One scholar wrote it this way. He says, this is an invitation to experience one of those rare unguarded moments of total honesty. Where in the presence of the eternal God, one recognizes that everything, absolutely everything, that one has is gift. All is of grace, nothing is deserved, nothing earned. 
Those who so experience grace also live from a posture of unbounded gratitude. Hear that? When you experience grace, it becomes unbounded gratitude. Those such as the Corinthians who think of themselves as especially gifted with the Spirit and wisdom, thereby enabling them to judge another, reflect a total misunderstanding of grace and quite miss the humility of God expressed in the crucified Christ. When we operate in pride, we, we are literally removing ourselves of the understanding of who Jesus was. God says he opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And, and this is what is just rampant in the church in Corinth in this day. And I, I, again, I would say it's, it's rampant in us today. This is why we can say we like one person over the other is because we believe we're a judge, even though the scriptures just told us last week to not judge people before the time. We feel like we can judge on a, on a level that makes sense and as if God isn't going to do that. And it's all pride. Our issues with Scripture, our issues in our lives and our marriages and our relationships with our finances are all because we've gone beyond Scripture. We've, choos- we've chosen to just remove ourselves from Scripture or say, well, this just, you know, it's a, that's a verse for that time. It doesn't really affect us today. It's, it's, it's puffed up. It's arrogance. We accept things in our lives as if they're just going to be that way, even though the Scriptures speak directly opposite of that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. And now he, he turns and, he, like I said, he goes to just this extremely sarcastic tone in the text in verse 8, trying to, I think, really confront the issue that was at hand in the church in Corinth. In verse 8, he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. So he's saying, look, you're already rich. You didn't even need us to become kings. You're, you've got it all figured out. Now, you can, you can translate this in a positive way, recognizing that, that the Apostle Paul also has said in another scripture, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, so they are rich and they have become kings because they're co-heirs with Christ. But that's not the way he's using it here. He goes on and says, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. He's saying, man, if you guys would reign, that'd be awesome because we'd share in the rule with you. It means that, that Jesus would have come. He'd undone all this broken world, righted back everything up. And that's where we would be. That's the scripture. That's, what, that's, that's the truth of where we'd be. But he said, this is what I think. For I think that God, hear that, for I think that God, he doesn't say that them, he doesn't say he does this himself, but he says, I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, which again, we know already in in chapter three, he said that their wisdom is in this age, not in Christ. So he's he's being very sarcastic here. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in in disrepute, ill reputation. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted or beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He goes into this section. He says, look, you have missed it completely, what it means to follow the Lord. This isn't too far-fetched. Think, think back to the Gospels. If you remember any, any of Jesus' time on earth when he's working through the Gospels, he's, how many times did he share with the, just the disciples alone, not to mention everyone else in his teachings, that the Son of Man must be crucified? He said, how many times must he die and be raised three days later? He said it over and over and over and over again, yet every single one of the disciples and every other person completely missed it. Because why? Because they had a view that they thought was higher of Jesus than really he was doing. They wanted to go beyond what Jesus was offering. 
They thought what Jesus was offering wasn't enough. How could the, their mind, their picture, their puffed up knowledge, their wisdom of this age didn't coincide or correctly match what Jesus was doing, and so they completely missed it. They were walking with Jesus, and they missed it. They heard him say it out of his mouth, and they missed it. Remember the disciples that were walking the road with him? He shows up and unfolds all of Scripture with them, and they're like, after he leaves, they're like, were not our hearts burning within us? When he unveiled all of the scriptures pointing to this very thing, how did, how did we miss this? The same is true of us. You know, the funny thing, and this is how you know it's pride, because pride will make us completely stupid. All of the people in Corinth were aligning themselves to different leaders, right? They're saying, well, I follow Paul. Oh, yes, yeah, so we're part of this group. And well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And so they're getting puffed up and arrogant and saying, well, I follow these people. And then they look at their own lives and they're comfortable and there's nothing going on. And then they look at the lives of the people that they say they're following and there's no match to it at all. The Corinthians were of high reputation, of wealth, and the apostles were not. See, they wanted the idea if it meant they could have a better seat, but they didn't want the life. They loved the idea of, of aligning themselves to someone that had the, the best stylistic preaching, who could present it really eloquently and win over many people, but they had no desire to actually align their lives to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, which is interesting. If you look at the church today, guys, I, I think the same is true of us. I, I really do. Jesus says things like, you cannot be my disciple if you not die to yourself. Every day, take up your cross. Die, die. You must, you must give of yourself. That means your time, your resources, your energy, your families. Everything has to be on the table when it comes to following me. And yet we so often say, well, I mean, I'll put my, I'll put my hand on. I don't know if I really want that much. You can have some of my, my life and as long as it doesn't interrupt this. Or I've, I've got big plans for myself. And we continue to, to puff ourselves up to go beyond Scripture instead of saying, Lord, you are mine. And if that means I'm going to be the scum of the earth. Now, that's a word that we can use safely today. That was an incredibly offensive word in this day. It means excrement. It's really what it means. He's saying, this is, this is who we are. He's, it's, like, it's like Paul is searching for the worst word possible to use in this setting to really drive home the fact that this is how I view who we are. This is what, this is what I think God wants of us. For I think that God has decided, he has established. And he, he uses terms that, that to us were like, oh, okay, great, a spectacle, that's neat. That word itself, what that meant was it was a term for gladiators or, or Rome, Rome used it very often. When, when they conquered somewhere, they would, they would bring the spoils with the kings of, of whoever they conquered. So the Roman kings and, and, and army would come marching in through the gates, usually a big tall gate, and everyone in Rome in that city would come around and they would say, yeah, woohoo, and at the very back, the very back would have been in chains, would have been the, the, the people that they had defeated but hadn't killed yet. And they'd be walking, being drugged along. And as they're being drugged along, you know what's happening is every one of the townspeople are spitting on them and throwing stuff at them and hurling insults at them. And the, the end of this, what this meant, the end of this spectacle was that they would probably be used for some game that they had no chance of winning to fight with lions or whatever else. So ultimately, they knew that these people that were walking, that were the spectacle, that they were walking in place, that ultimately they were walking to their death it just, they just didn't know how it was going to happen. And the Apostle Paul says, that's who we are. We're a spectacle. That's not something they're going to be like, oh, sign me up. Put me in there. No, most of them would go, whoa, wait a second. Like you're, see, the, see the incongruence? The church in Corinth, people are standing going, I follow this person, and I've got wealth, and I've got comfort, and, and they're dividing. And I, I see myself better than this person. The Apostle Paul says, whoa, if you align to me, then this is what it looks like. 
If you align to Apollos, look, we've already established that we're all one. We're all building on the same foundation. We belong to you. You don't belong to us. This is, this, you've, you've, you've elevated us above a level that makes no sense. This is what it means to follow. It means that you'll be hurled on and spit on. It means that you'll be reviled and persecuted. Many of us today don't experience this, but there are many of our brothers and sisters that are experiencing that very thing right now around this world. But he says, this is what it means What's interesting is even people were told, and even today I think people would say, fight back. You know, if, you, if, if someone hurled inserts at you, you insult back. Or when attacked or tortured, even, even in Judaism, the tradition at this day of the martyrs suggested that if you were tortured or threatened, you should threaten your captors that God would condemn or punish them in return. And that was a common understanding. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I've learned a different way. When people insult me, I offer blessings. When they persecute him, he hears it patiently. When, he, when people tell lies about him, he speaks gently and kindly in return. What sort of person behaves like this? What, what sort of person can experience that? Look, there are going to be people that are going to say horrible things about you. What would it be to, to be said something horrible back and just be gentle and kind back to them instead of potting off? What if you just didn't hit enter on your post that you're about to enter on Facebook in those conversations that are so nasty? What, what, what sort of person does this? He says right here, I wrote it this way, it says, only someone who believes that God's wisdom is revealed in the tortured and broken body of his beloved son. And scholar says it this way. He says, when Paul declares that he and his fellow apostles are like the rubbish left off and thrown out, we may be right to hear the echoes of the event a few years before where his master was scraped off the floor of Pilate's torture room and dragged out of the city to die. And if Paul needed to make this point to the Christians in Corinth, what would he say to the comfortable Western Christianity today? Look, he's saying, you guys, you don't forget who we're following. Jesus didn't, he didn't just sit on the throne the whole time. He came in the most humble of forms. He, was, he put himself, he entrusted himself to someone he created, took on flesh, left a perfect position and a seat that none of us will ever be able to sit in. And we want more than that. We hold ourselves higher than that. It's pride. It, it's puffed up. You've, you've lost sight. You've, you believe you've moved beyond scriptures. And what he's establishing today is he's saying, look, if we don't deal with this, you're never going to hear any of the stuff we're going to talk about after this. We're talking about sexual immorality and, and all these other things that, that are difficult things to discuss. And if you don't see that you're puffed up, you're not going to hear what the Lord wants you to hear through this stuff. Anytime anyone finds himself enlightened and starts saying things like, I just can't imagine God, like we, <laughs> like our imagine is, is greater than God. Or I like... I just, I just, I know I read what this says, but I just, I don't like the way that looks, so I'm going to do it this way. Like, you're, you're basically making a judgment on your God who created you. It's, it's pride. And when you make these judgments, and when you, when you do these things, guys, you're, you're, we're operating outside, we're operating in what God says, op opposition, because he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's really interesting. Again, these, these leaders wanted so badly to align themselves for a position, but again, they refused to align their lives to them. So when the Apostle Paul says, look, I, I'm going to be reviled. People are reviling, they're slandering us, but we still, we treat them kindly. This is what it means to not be puffed up. This is what it means to not, to not worry about what, what your case is. Because he's basically saying, look, we're fools for Christ's sake. Why? Because the wisdom they, that the Corinthians claimed they had, we already established, was wisdom of the age, which is foolishness to God. But the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to the world that we would follow a crucified Messiah. But that's what he's saying. Paul doesn't have any desire to see the Corinthians beat up beyond repair. In fact, verse 14, where we'll be next week, he says, look, I, I, I don't say this to shame you. 
But that's next week. We'll talk about that there. <laughs> what he's saying is he's pushing on us. Are you puffed up? So as we, as we look at the scripture and come to today, I, I can't help but think that there's many people in the room today, because I know what the Lord has done with me as I've studied through this, that you're going you're gonna to feel conviction. You're going to see areas in your life that don't align to Scripture. You're going to see where your finances don't align. You're going to see where your, your submission to authority doesn't align. You're going to see where you've caused division within the bride of Christ. It doesn't align. You're going to get confronted by those things. A child of God, as painful as it will be, will let themselves be just run through the ringer if that's what the Lord wants. So if you're being convicted here, don't run from it. If God is pushing on you right now and saying, no, you know what? You're not leading your wife. You're not leading your family. You're not submitted to me. You're submitted to someone else. If he's, if he's pushing on you in this way, don't run or squirm out. Remain under, like it says in James. Stay under when you consider various trials because I'm, produ- I'm producing something that is far greater than gold or silver. Don't run from it. But don't just feel bad for yourself. Because again, that's not what the goal is. Hey, you guys, you, know, you, you got way too easy of a life. It's way too comfortable for you. Go seek some difficulty, which honestly... Let me just say this. Some of us spend way too much time making sure that there is no difficulty in our life. Some of us spend way too much time trying to be comfortable in the world standard as opposed to uncomfortable in Christ's hands. So I want to say that that's true. Some of us, though, some of us, we get convicted by the Spirit of God and we get these things and we think, oh, if I just feel bad, that'll be enough. No, God gives us a way. He says there's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. One leads to life and one leads to death. Godly sorrow produces repentance and confession, and a lifelong of submission. Worldly sorrow has the same tears up front, but ends up fizzling out because you just can't sustain it in your own strength. So if you're being convicted, let yourself be convicted. Say, God, take me through this. Break what needs to be broken because he's the only person that can put it back together. Where are you puffed up? Where is pride running rampant? I can tell you one indicator that the Apostle Paul uses. If in your life you're not seeing unity but division, most likely pride is in place. Because that's the, that's the very premise at which he's using it here in the scripture. So the reason why you have divisions, the reason why there isn't unity, is because of pride. Because you're puffed up, because you're arrogant, because you think of yourself higher than you really are. You should see yourself as a scum of the earth, as the world, the refuse, the dirt of all things. Why? Because ultimately, we're not of this world. This isn't home. One thing you can see in the scriptures over and over again is they never keep their, their eyes fixed just on today. It's always fixed on when he comes again. And that's, that's what he's, he's saying. It's like, look, there's going to be a day when this world goes away. So why would you build anything to establish yourself on this world when you could be building for the kingdom that's going to last forever? You'll have less pride in the, the systems and the factions of this world and the divisions when you realize that you can have complete freedom in Christ and you can build on a kingdom that will last forever, would you guys allow the Lord to convict, to produce fruit, to bring glory to his son? Some of you, I want to say this too, some of us in here, we struggle to not respond the way that, that the Apostle Paul shows us responding when we're reviled or slandered. I, I will tell you right now, it, it hurts to be slandered. It hurts to be revived. I've, I've experienced this. Um, it's never, ever, ever fun, but I can tell you one thing that I know about myself that's true. Sometimes it hurts a little bit more than it should because I believe that what they view of me is more important than what God views of me. So if we are stuck in how someone else views us, your first reaction is going to be to snap back, to revile, to point out what's wrong in someone else. If you are settled in God and what he's doing, it's really a lot easier 
never easy, but a lot easier to not revile back. I've seen that in my own life. I've seen as I struggle to do that and wrestle through that. This is all tied together. And at the end of it, it's pride. If I'm more concerned about what someone else views in me than the one who created me, who sent his son to die for me so that I can live in a life of eternity and freedom and in the, the throne room of God, that I can be deemed righteous when I'm completely unworthy. If I'm more enamored with a person or a spouse or someone else to think highly of me than that, it's pride. Because I believe that just isn't good enough. I believe I have something greater to find in people liking me. Like we said last week, are we going to produce faithful people or fans? But I would encourage you to do two things with this. When you hear this, first off, I want to plead with you, please start reading ahead in Corinthians. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of really difficult things to come, and I would hate for me to be the first one that you hear it from. I'd love for you to hear it from the Word of God and the Spirit as He works on you. Secondly, I, I would encourage you, if you have been convicted, there's like, man, I know I'm in a relationship I shouldn't be in. I know that this isn't honoring to God because of the way I'm dealing with my family. And the enemy would tell you to isolate yourself, to withdraw from community and, and try and figure this out on your own so that you can come back and pretend like you have it all together. That's just not the way to do it. If there's conviction happening, if the, if, the, if the Spirit is moving on you, don't run from it. Press into it. Say, okay, Lord, show me what your scriptures say here. Like, I, reveal this to me. Come to, come to the elders. Come to someone in your gospel community, whatever it needs to be. Some of your friends that know the Lord and say, like, point this out. Show me where the scriptures tell me this. And come with a posture of, I genuinely want to know what it says, not I have an agenda that I'm trying to push within to this scripture so that I can be right. Because that's a position of pride. But don't run from community. Push into it. If you see your life riddled with division, then pride is running rampant within your life. If you see yourself way too comfortable, I mean way too comfortable, and you don't see any kind of difficulties in your life, then who are you living your life for? Because I, I'll just tell you this right now, guys, this place is temporary. If we don't stop seeing it as our lifelong, like, this is my life and I've got to do everything I can with it, we're going to miss the fact that everything we're building on is for His kingdom, not for us. This place is temporary. Our life is but a vapor. Stop building on your own foundation and build on the, the foundation of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for convicting me. Thank you for continuing to show me the areas in which I have so much work to do. And I, I praise you that it's not me doing it. It's your spirit in me. God, thank you for showing us scripture. I can't imagine how difficult it would have been to be in the Apostle Paul's shoes, writing this letter to a group of believers that he had spent so much time with, um, seeing them kind of just going awry, but I, I also, in, in recognizing that, can just see maybe how, how difficult it may look at the church today, God. As we continue to operate within our own pride, we continue to operate within factions, and we continue to try and divide, God, please forgive us. God, for the individuals that are here today that, that maybe like, aren't sure that they believe in you or don't know if they believe in you or are questioning you or they thought they believed in you, but then when they hear, like, that, wait, I'm supposed to be the scum of this earth. I'm supposed to be the filth. I'm going to be reviled. I'm supposed to bless. Wait, what does this even mean, God? Would you please show them that there is nothing greater than dying to yourself and living for Christ? God, forgive us in the ways that we refuse to die to ourselves and continue to want ourselves to, to reign in place. God, for the individuals that are in here that have been convicted, that your spirit is moving on right now, God, I pray that you'd press harder. I pray that they would remain under, that they wouldn't squirm out, they wouldn't run away. I pray that they would press into, even if that means they need to make radical life decisions that the world would deem as foolish, God, I pray that they would do so. Because we are not of this world, we are of you. And we pray, God, we pray that you'd come back, bring your kingdom into full reign. We thank you for the, the wisdom that comes only from you and forgive us for the ways in which we've thought we've had wisdom outside of you. Forgive us for the ways that we've, we've gone beyond your scripture. 
Would you please just help us be submitted? And as we, as we continue to work through this book as a community, God, I pray that you would be glorified in it. I pray that more and more people would come to know you and love you and more and more people be faithful with what they've been stewarding for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.